0: they'd feel your arms around them. Maybe they'd sense an answer to prayer. Maybe it'd be, Lord, just that you would indeed rejuvenate them with a fresh strength of faith. And Lord, as we do pause in this prayer, I'm sure there are some who are going through those trials we just sang about right now. Lord, we're glad to be here in your house tonight. And right now, we just take a moment to lift that trial up to You. To be here, to be in Your house, to be among Your people. And to say, God, here's, here's where I'm hurting. Here's where I need help. Here's where I need provision. Here's where I need You to move and to work in a way that I just am beyond even knowing what to ask. Lord, I thank You that You just heard each person that had one of those prayers. And may they know that You hear, that You see. And may they know that You are working. May we be faithful as we wait to see. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen. And amen. Well, a couple of years ago, there was a a very popular movie that came out, one one of many that comes out by Disney. It was called The Princess Diaries. You recognize that movie? Remember that movie? It's the story of this kind of awkward, kind of nerdy teenage girl who finds out overnight that she is the princess of Genovia. And she learns this from her grandmother, who is the, the queen. And uh, a lot of the movie is not only her learning that, but then how this grandmother kind of trains her to be royalty. You see, she can't be awkward and nerdy anymore. She's the princess. And that, that's a, a certain position that requires a certain conduct. And much of the movie is about her learning the conduct, learning what it means to stand in that position. And you kind of watch her go through that awkward transformation from uh, being kind of an awkward nerd into being royalty. I've got a little clip for us here just to kind of remember the movie. And if you haven't seen the movie, to be aware that there are indeed positions in which you have to change. You have to take on a certain character. So watch this clip from the movie here. A little bit more of a When walking in a crowd, one is under scrutiny all the time. So we don't schlump like <laughs> this. We drop the shoulders, we think tall, we tuck under, and we transfer the weight from one foot to... No. Princesses never cross their legs in public. Why don't you just tuck one ankle behind the other and place the hands gracefully on the knees? Charlotte, I think it's time for tea. <laughs> As I said, it's a little bit of an awkward transformation sometimes. But you know what? It's a transformation that we... We, not the princess of Genovia. It's a transformation that we have to make. I hope you remember from last week, we saw that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are a new man. And with that comes a new position. You have a new position in Christ. The Scripture talks about this position in a number of ways. In John chapter 1, it says that we are a child of God. In Romans chapter 8, it says we are a co-heir with Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you are called a royal. You are royalty. You are a prince, a princess. We are a royal priesthood. Man, there's, there's position there. There's conduct both with royalty, there's conduct with priesthood. That's a reference to you. You in this world represent God to people and you represent people to God. So you are a royal priesthood. You are also, it says in 1 Peter 2, a holy nation. That word nation's not a reference to, to geography. It's not a reference to politics. But it's a reference to you and I being a part of a nation of Christ. Followers, and with that, with this position comes a certain conduct. You look at those things, and those are just a, a few of the ways that Scripture describes our position. With that position comes a conduct. Now, you know it's kind of hard if you if you'll recognize that in America it's hard to tell an American that, because we are a, a society that has thrown off the idea that society places behavior on me. We've thrown off the idea that, that a, a position communicates to me, demands that I act in a certain way. We've thrown off those kinds of traditions and, and those kinds of values. And to be honest with you, I think there's probably some good things that have come from individualism. There's some good things that have come from individual self-expression. But I also think this nation has thrown the baby out with the bath water. There is nothing wrong with having a position that is bigger than you. A position that demands a certain conduct. And it is God's position for you and for me that gives us just such an opportunity to be in something, to be a part of something that is bigger than individual, that is bigger than my self-expression. And it is that position that God gives to you and me. And it's the rest of Ephesians that is going to describe a lot of this conduct for us. So let's look at that tonight. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading. In verse 25, if you don't have a Bible with you tonight, I hope you'll use one of ours there in the pew. Keep it open as we read through God's Word and try to understand what He wants to say to us tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 25. It says there, Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger and wrath, insult and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. That's what you are. Dearly loved children, and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us, and gave Himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. This passage gives us five rules of conduct. Five Uh, uh, rules that that guide our position that we have in Christ. I think there in Ephesians 5, the reason I went through verse 2, is I kind of attached that up there to chapter 4, and see that is the guiding principle... Through these rules, because it really the issue is it doesn't matter what the rules are. You know, as I've told you before, rules are not God's hoops that we jump through just to see if we can do it. They're all extensions of his character. They're extensions of who he is. So the bottom line is not just this list of rules or any other list of rules that we might find in Scripture. The guiding principle is we are to imitate God. Now, in our five commands that we see in Ephesians 4.25 and following, you're going to notice that there's a negative, there's a positive, and then there's a reason why that rule of conduct has been given for our position. So let's dive in and look at this. Our conduct is one, first of all, you see there, of truth. The negative is to put away lying. The positive is to speak the truth to our neighbor. And the reason we do that is because we are members of one another. In our position, there's just not room for lies. There's not room for half truths. There's not room for for deceit. That's not our character. As a matter of fact, this goes a little bit deeper than being a rule. It's not our character. It's not about some activity that I did or did not do. Lying is not our character and the position that we have. Let me show you what I mean. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is speaking and He says this, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And has not stood in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, listen to this, when he does that activity of lying, he speaks from his own nature. It's what he is, because he is a liar and he is the father of liars. You see, folks, we, in our position of being a child of God, it's completely contradictory to take on the conduct of a child of Satan. It's not just I told this little lie over here. That's a character quality. And it's not the character of the position that we now have in God of being a child of God, but it's the character quality of being a child of Satan. That's not our nature. We're to be a a, a nature of truth. Now, you know, a lot of times what what we like to ask here is, well, now, are there times that it's appropriate to lie? You know what? It's irrelevant. What do you mean it's irrelevant? You're you're not answering the question. No, I'm saying that if you told a hundred lies in this past year, maybe two of them were an issue of an appropriate time to lie. Folks. Finding some place where it's an appropriate time to lie, like when your wife asks if you look good in that or she looks good in that dress or, or how that hair looks, that's not the issue. That's not what we're talking about here. Our nature, our conduct is to be one of telling the truth. We are a people of truth. The, the, the text says here that we're to tell the truth to our neighbor. This is a quote from Zechariah 8.16. And it is saying, that, or in that context of Zechariah 8.16, the neighbor was a fellow Jew. He's saying, tell the truth to your fellow Jews. As we look at our text here, it talks about being members of one another. So as we got this command, this rule to tell the truth, it does seem that there's a, a circle here. This is a body of believers. We are not to lie to one another as believers. Now, is that saying then that we can go out and lie to any unbeliever we find? We can go out into the world and lie? No, because a lie comes from where? Satan. He is the father. He is the source of all lies. That still puts us in his conduct, not God's. But what this passage is saying is how much more offensive is it when you and I lie to one another? Why? Because we're members of one another. This is interesting, the word that it uses here for members. There, there is a word in the Greek language for member. It's the common word that talks about being the, the member of a team or the member of an organization or of a, of a club. If you're a part of something, if you're a member, that particular word is used. That's not the word used right here. The, the word used right here is members of a same organization organism you you, you see the difference there an organization you can be a part of an organization and there can be a wide range of how connected you are to one another but the member of an organism that's a very tight connection what do you mean my arm is a member of my body my foot is a member of my body and what paul is saying here is it does not serve my arm to lie to the body It doesn't serve my body to lie to the arm. Why? Because if my body deceives my arm, the whole thing gets hurt. That's what happens when we lie to one another in here. I mean, I may look like in a moment I'm getting out of trouble with you or I'm covering something. But in the end, we're all hurt. Our nature, our conduct in this position we have as a child of God is truth. It's truth. Second thing that we see here in verse 26 is that our conduct is to be one of self-control. We see the negative. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The positive command is be angry, but don't sin. And the reason why? Because it gives the devil an opportunity. Boy, listen to that, folks. Anger is a door into your life for Satan. Anger is a door into your life for Satan. You know what's interesting about this passage? If you'll look there at it real closely, it doesn't call anger a sin. It never says to be angry is to be a sin. As a matter of fact, the positive command is to be angry, just do it without sin. Anger is not a problem in and of itself, it's just an emotion. It's an, emotion. it's an emotion you're going to experience in a fallen world. Anger is disappointment. And you're angry when there is wrong. This passage doesn't even delineate whether we're talking about different kinds of anger because there is justified anger and there's unjustified anger. There is an appropriate way to handle anger. There's an inappropriate way to handle anger. Well, this passage isn't even talking about whether I've handled it appropriately or inappropriately or whether it's justified or not. It's saying, Randy, every moment you spend in anger is an opportunity for Satan to get into your life. So he says, watch your words, watch your actions and deal with it. And he gives us a timetable. What's that timetable? It's pretty much right now, isn't it? He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, I hear couples all the time say, you know, the secret to our marriage is we've never... Matter of fact, I've heard very few couples actually say this. Uh, the secret to our marriage is we never go to bed arguing. We always solve it before we go. Even if we have to stay up at 2, 3 in the morning. Well, that doesn't mean you've obeyed the passage because the passage didn't say by 2 or 3 in the morning. It said before the sun goes down. You know, the issue here, I believe, is not whether the sun is up or down. You know how I translate this? You know what God is saying? Listen, if the emotion of anger hits you, you've got about 24 hours to deal with it. You have to remember, who created this, this machine? God did. And you've heard me say this before. God said, listen, Randy, I didn't create this machine to carry around anger for any significant amount of time. When you do, it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy the things around you. And it lays your life open to Satan. So he says, deal with it. Deal with it right away. We say, well, you know what? I, I don't know how to deal with my anger. I'd love to deal with my anger. God, how? This passage doesn't tell me how. You know, I think sometimes you know, we're very quick to say, you know what? I, I don't know how to do that. And the problem is really not our lack of knowledge or our inability. The real problem is our lack of motivation. You know, imagine with me that you're in your home. And you are having, I mean, you're a of fit. You are, you are deep in anger. I don't know what it's about, but you've been there. And, and you're in this, this anger, you're in this bitterness, this rage, and all of a sudden you notice something out of your peripheral vision. And you look over and, my gosh, Satan is coming through the window. I mean the Satan. Not, not, not metaphorically, I'm talking about the beast, the demon, the head one. You see him, whatever you imagine, like in all his horror, in all his ugliness, he is breaking into your house and the only thing you can do to stop him dead in his tracks is to resolve your anger, that moment right there. I bet you'd know how to resolve it then, wouldn't you? See, now i got all the motivation in the world. If it would stop him, I'll fix this, I'll resolve this. Well, guess what God's saying to you right now? He's breaking in. He is circling your home. He is looking for a way to break into your life every day. And anger is easy access. That's our motivation. A passage could and other passages do talk about how we might handle anger. The biggest issue is not the how. The biggest issue is the motivation. We are to be a people of self-control. Let's look at a a third issue here. Verse 28 says, The thief must no longer steal. That's the negative. The positive is, is we are to work hard. We're to work honest lives. You know, by the way here, as we look at this, when we think of a thief, obviously we think he's got the mask over his head, got a gun, breaking into a, a bank, breaking into a store. But you know, with this focus here on honest work, I think we'd have to add under the idea of a thief, the idea of a person who goes to work, collects a paycheck without having put in a good, honest, hard day of work. That's a thief. That's stealing. The Scripture says our conduct and the position that we have before God, we don't steal No, we work hard. We work honestly with the motive. Why? So that we can serve others. You know, we represent God. In the world. I mean, that's where we're ultimately getting when we get down to chapter 5, verse 1. We're imitators of God. That's where we're getting as we look at what we looked at last week and we realize, man, I'm to take off this old filthy man over here and I'm to put on, look at verse 424, I'm to put on God. I'm to put on God-likeness in righteousness and purity. We go out into the world to represent Him. You know what? I bet a lot of us in here have seen somebody who, who comes here and they're a, a good, upstanding church member. But then you know what they're like out in the business world. You know what I'm talking about? We've seen people like that. You know, they, they lie. They steal. They cut corners. They misrepresent products. They, they, they misrepresent ideas. They deceive. And they do it to get money. They steal from others to benefit themselves. You remember when we last week we were talking about this old man over here says like an animal we're we're reduced to our instinct and we become self-centered. Well, well stealing's pretty self-centered, isn't it? I mean, when you're stealing, you're saying at that moment the highest important thing in this moment is what I want, even if it means your loss, even if it means you getting hurt. Well, man, that's what's God like. I know what that animals like, but what God's like? Man, if I go out into the world to represent God, you know what? God works. Think about the very first page of the Bible. What do we see God doing? Working. He works six days and then He rests. God works. And when God works, who benefits? Others. See, over here in the old filthy man, I work to benefit self even if it means taking from you. But when I'm imitating God, I'm representing Him in the world. I work for the good and the benefit of others. We're to work hard, honest, productive lives for the opportunity to serve God, to serve His kingdom, to serve the needs of others. That's how we imitate Him. That's our conduct in this position as a child of God. Let's go on to the, to the next rule here. We see it in verse 29. We are to build up others with our words. You see the, the negative here is that we're to have no rotten talk coming out of our mouth, but we're to have words that come out that build up other people. And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit's listening. And guess what it says here? When I hurt others, I hurt the Holy Spirit. Man, that's not what we learned about Christ, isn't it? Remember that phrase from last week? Christ's words don't hurt other people. Christ's words build up other people. Our lives and our conduct is not to be about tearing down others. Well, we all know what this is, don't we? Well, some of us have have felt that. Maybe it's the words of a parent or the the words of a teacher or of a, a friend or maybe it was a stranger or a mate and those words... Dig in and they rip and they leave scars. And sometimes those words are so damaging, it hurts that person's ability to even relate with others in the future. Is that what we learned about Christ? Is it to have words that hurt people like that? You know, it's interesting, this word here. My my translation says no rotten talk. Your, your translation may say no unwholesome word. The, the word here in the Greek language is the same word used for rancid fish. That's kind of a gross word picture, isn't it? What rancid fish? We're talking about the fish. You know, they, they came into the docks, they unloaded, and they took all the fish to the market. Well, this fish didn't make it to the market. He fell out of the net. He was left laying there on the dock. You know, he, he the sun baked him. The flies are there. The eyeballs caved in. And it stinks. Now, when you look at that fish, you see that fish, what do you do? No! Oh, Guys, you move it. Get it away. You don't want to see it. You don't want to smell it. That word is being used there to say to you and me, listen, words that tear people down, words that falsely accuse, words to mock somebody, to make fun of somebody, words to, to ridicule, words that tear down. Let me tell you something, that stinks to God and it stinks to God's people. Man, those aren't the. That's not. We've, we've read the Gospels. We're learning about Jesus. We didn't wor- learn words like that. We didn't learn words that do that to people. Watch Jesus speak. What do his words do? Man, Jesus' words give life. Jesus' words bring peace. Jesus' words build. Jesus' words give love. What have we learned about Christ? Man, our talk is to build up people's lives, not take them down further. What did we learn? about Christ. Now the reason this is so important is because the Holy Spirit listens to every word. There's a real focus in this language here of every word. There's never a time. There's never a place. There's never a person. There's never one single conversation that doesn't count. The Holy Spirit is hearing and listening and a part of every single word. Why would I want to hurt him? This is the Holy Spirit who did what? He sealed me. Remember, we learned about that back in chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is the one who, after I prayed and trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit sealed me. He he locked me in. He secured that salvation so I wouldn't mess it up until the day of my redemption, until the day that Jesus gets back. Man, what a wonderful work the Holy Spirit is doing in my life to keep me saved, to keep me secure in God's love. After having done that to me and for me, do I want to repay that by tearing people down with my words? Your words build up or your words tear down. You know, I'd like to give some application. You know, when you're in this place this week, I can't limit it to a place, I can't limit it to a day. The scripture says every conversation in your life is doing this. Every conversation in your life is doing this. Don't stink to God, build up. We go on to verse 31. And verse 31 and 2 look a little bit different from our first four commands in that a, a list is given. It's not just one thing that's being dealt with, but it's a list. There's, there's several negative things listed here. Bitterness, anger, wrath, insult and slander. All of that is to be what? Removed. You see, Paul's taking us back to the language of last week. We are to take off the filthy clothing... I am to take off bitterness. I'm to take off anger. Why do I wear these things? Because I live in a fallen world. You know, folks, this passage isn't denying the idea that that people deserve your anger, that they deserve your bitterness. They do. They do deserve it. We live in a fallen world. They're going to lie about you. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. They're going to betray you. And the way an animal responds is then to lash out in anger, to lash out in bitterness. But we've taken off that clothing. We've taken off that filthiness. We put on the righteousness. We put on the purity. And we respond in what we've learned about Jesus. What have we learned? We've learned compassion. We've learned kindness. We've learned forgiveness. Now well, That's fine in here when we're reading Scripture. But when you're out there dealing with real people and real hurt, you want to say, what? Are you kidding me? Forget. Why would I do that? Because it was done for you. Have you been lied to? You lied to God. Have you been betrayed? You have betrayed God. Every person. There's not a person in this room that has not betrayed God. Somebody talked bad about you? You've talked bad about God. I don't think I've ever talked bad about God. In your silence you have. When you stood around while people talked bad about God or miscommunicated God. There's nothing happening to us that we haven't done to God. How did He respond? Kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. It's what we learned about Christ that gave me the opportunity to be in this position, to be a child of God, to be a co heir with Christ. It wasn't my work, it wasn't because I was obeying all these rules perfectly. I haven't obeyed any of these rules perfectly. No, it was because He responded in kindness and compassion and He forgave. Why would we do that? Because it was done for you. You know, I kind of take these two verses and I'm, you know, we can go through and, and these words all do communicate something. Instead of taking the time to explain all those, it's just this, folks. This is our conduct right here. We are going to be for others what Christ has been for us. We are going to be for others what Christ has been for us. Not because they deserve it. They don't deserve it. Let's just remove the mystery. They don't deserve it. Neither did you. We are going to be for others what Christ has been for us. Now, when I say we're going to be Jesus for others, I'm not saying that by my activity they get saved. By my activity I can make them a child of God. What I am saying is I can take what I've learned about Christ and I can display it in such a way that some of them might just be drawn to Him. Not all of them. As a matter of fact, sometimes the more compassionate and forgiving I am, the more advantage they'll take of us. Sometimes they'll just get meaner and uglier. So our display won't draw all, but it will draw some. We live what we've learned about Christ. And then as I said, I think it's just all summed up here. We're imitators of God. This is not a list of five rules. You've got to go out and obey perfectly or else you go to hell. You know, it, it is, okay, so if I do these five things, will God be happy with me? Will, will, will I get something at the end of the week if I do all five of these? No, I, I imitate God. Why? Because I am His dearly loved child. There is nobody ever in history, on this planet, anywhere, that has loved me like God has. And because of that love, I imitate Him. So we already said, it's not easy. It won't always be appreciated. It won't always be applauded. Sometimes it will be a downright sacrifice. Oh, yeah, it was for Jesus too, wasn't it? Yeah, it says right there, He was a sacrifice. Why did He sacrifice? Because He thought you were worth it. He thought it was worth being lied about, betrayed, miscommunicated, violently beaten, and murdered because He thought you were worth it. And as a result, we get this brand new position. A child, a co-heir, royalty. And now in this position, my conduct has an opportunity to tell Jesus If I think he's worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, I know. I know why you're worth it. I can't hardly imagine why you thought I was worth it. But you did. And for that I pause and I, I say thank you. And I give you praise for enduring all of the grossness that humans can do to one another. You endured all of that because you thought I was worth it. Thank you. And now, Lord, I want to take on what you've given me. I want to take on this position that you've provided for me. I want to take on this new life. And I want to imitate you. I want to live like you. And Lord, I understand that that may mean I get taken advantage of even worse. God, I want to, I want to live in a way that shows you're worth it to me. You lived in a way that was perfect. I'm sure I won't. But I want to get better. I, I want to show you're worth it more this week than I did last week. And I hope next summer, God, I've gone a long, long ways in showing you just how much you're worth it to me. Lord, that, that could be kind of a mystery how we as... These finite little creatures on the planet could show a holy God that He's worth it. So God, I thank You for Ephesians chapter 4. I don't have to figure it out. You've showed me exactly what would show You that You're worth it to me. I become a person of truth. I become a person who builds up lives through my words, through my actions. And not joins the rest of the animal world and tearing people and tearing families, tearing churches apart. God, we want to imitate You. Will You help us this week? Put it in the front of our mind. I'm here today. I'm in this spot. I'm in this relationship to imitate the Lord God. I'm going to live and act just what I've learned about Jesus.